WTTM 260. This episode of Paul Berry's A Window to the Magic is brought to you by you. Yes, you. Window to the Magic is supported by its listeners and is totally commercial sponsor free. Just pure, family friendly, and kid safe entertainment in stunning binaural sound. It takes a lot to keep this show coming to you, and we hope you'll agree that the result is definitely worth the cost. Please support the cause by visiting windowtothemagic.com and signing up for reoccurring support of as little as $3 a month. Together, we can keep the magic alive. You're listening to the windowtothemagic.com podcast. Brought to you by windowtothemagic.com. Surround yourself with the magic. Hello, and welcome to A Window to the Magic. My name is Paul, and as always, I will be your guide through the wonderful world of Disney sound experiences. This show is an audio trip through the world of the Disney theme parks and resorts, and this is the place where you get to use your ears to surround yourself with the magic. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to episode number 260 of A Window to the Magic, the ultimate Disney audio adventure. This week, we take a look behind the scenes into the world of Tron. The original Tron film was released in 1982 and has become a cult classic. The second Tron film is being released this week and promises to delight all who dare to enter the grid. Our show this week consists of audio from the Tron films, their soundtracks, and interviews with the creators of both films, including exclusive interviews with renowned matte painter Harrison Ellenshaw, and in a very rare appearance, Mr. Ron Miller, son-in-law of Walt Disney, husband of Diane Disney Miller, and a former president and CEO of the Walt Disney Company. Both interviews were recorded during exclusive interviews that Window to the Magic and our good friend Leo Holzer conducted while at the Walt Disney Family Museum in San Francisco. I tell you folks, this museum is really a great place to visit. So sit back and enjoy Window to the Magic's trip through the world of Tron. Because the grid was created by Kevin Flynn, um, the world had to feel as if every detail was done by one person. So it really was a master kind of design uh, problem we had, which is to create an entire world that felt like it was all done from the the hand of one designer. Vehicles, architecture, landscapes, props, furniture, from a designer point of view, is just a kind of a dream come true. The whole look of Tron is a very non-organic look. Nothing about the film is, is organic. It's, it's, um, it's the real world translated into a digital universe of kind of high contrast, very slick blacks and, and, and bright colors in, you know, lights. And it, it's just very, very futuristic and very beautiful. 
little challenge for you, Sark. A new recruit. What kind of program is he? It's not any kind of program, Sark. Name's Flynn. I'm what you guys call a user. Users wrote us. The user even wrote you. I'd like to go against you and see what you are made of. Where am I? You're... Guest. The master control program. Gonna make you play video games. I play video games better than anybody. Come on, Dick Filler. Let's see what you got. You'll regret this. Who's that guy? That's Tron. He fights for the users. Oh, man. This isn't happening. It always thinks it's happening. guy was asking about you. Something different about him. You are the user. And everything you've done has been according to a plan. But once for the games, it's a dice play. Now for some real user power. I don't know how you survived. Prepare to terminate. On the other side of the screen, it all looks so easy. You really think the users are still there? The users can no longer help us be lost. My user wants me to go after the MCP. There's just three of us. Nice. You should have joined me! We've been a great team! No! There's nothing special about you. You're just an ordinary program. So are you. One that should have been erased. Send out every game tank in the grid! Get out of here! Where's the program? You are making me talk! Finish the game! No! Nothing! End of my... one of the most amazing experiences of my life. It was frightening as hell, because there was no way we were gonna do this. It was just, it was, an, it was a form of insanity. It, yet at the same time, I knew, and it didn't take a genius, I knew I'd glimpsed the future. I just went, whoa, <laughs> this is so cool, and you dive back in. But they were hugely long, days. Uh, we got the go-ahead from the studio to, you know, and to Ron Miller's credit. He signed off and said, yeah, sounds good. He did, well, he, <laughs> he didn't quite say it that way. <laughs> Especially when we just lost what, 12 million? And then when, when we hit 20, he said, will this ever end? And I remember saying, <laughs> Don't ask. <laughs> May not. I'll be in here next week asking for more. Um, but uh, yeah, there, it was a leap of faith to be for all of us. And then uh, you had to you had to talk about reinvent not reinvent the wheel, but invent another mode of transportation from scratch. It was like I, I said at the time. It was like trying to 
dig through a mountain with spoons. You know, and you're everybody's digging at different points. It's like, no, no, everybody come over here, let's dig this way. And then you hit a big giant boulder and you go, we can't dig with spoons anymore. Okay, well, we don't have anything but spoons. Okay, let's start over here. And it was it was frustrating, it was it was fascinating, and it was satisfying all at once. And when you saw the first footage out of Magi, it was it was just like Oh, there is a God. And it was, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. I have no regrets. The new one I look forward to, you know, if you're gonna, the, the first one was a huge flop. I remember talking to Dick Cook on the, on the phone, who eventually became chairman of the studios. Uh, from Hawaii, because I heard that's what George did after, you know, we went to Hawaii with Steven Spielberg and they sat around and talked about life. So I thought, yeah, I'm going to Hawaii after Tron comes out. And I called in, they, uh, didn't have a cell phone, called long distance and said, hey, Dick, how did, how did we do? He goes, $4 million. I said, well, that, that's good for LA County. <laughs> uh, that's everywhere. I just, I said I made a lot of money on video. They should still send me checks, and <laughs> which they won't. But um, you know, you don't get the guys who, who you know, the Tucker was a hugely innovative automobile that was a flop. So if in 2010 you buy the rights to the name Tucker. You don't go get the guys that built the first one to come build the one 50 years later. No, you get the, you, do you want a doctor who's 90 to look after you? No, you want the guy who's got you know, a few years out of med school, but still is up on the newest stuff. You know, you don't want some doctor who's, you know, starting to say, you know, we need to do some bloodletting here. <laughs> That'll get rid of your headaches. Okay. <laughs> That was good in 1983. The original was a very cutting edge at the time. Uh, of course, looking back, it, it looks, uh, you know, like an old black and white TV show. But at that time, uh, making the original Tron, there were no, uh, there was no internet. Our cell phones were these things we carried around in big suitcases. One of the really great things that uh, Joe did, and being an architect, he was able to do this, was to marry actual sets with uh, CGI sets. And it's very hard for the audience to tell which is which. Is which.
on Tron this time that people will be talking about for generations to come. We designed a super suit, you know, Batman, Superman, kind of fabulous techno cutting edge suit that had practical lighting in it, but that didn't feel like you couldn't move in it. Though I am a costume designer, I'm a techno geek myself. So when people say technology in costumes, I'm like, where? Sign me up. In this Tron, we have these suits that we have the technology to put all these cables running throughout and have it linked up to all these lights. It's completely revolutionary what they did with the suits. And it's really fun to work with so many smart, dedicated people who are so excited about the new technology they're using. Whoa! a very feminine cut to the costume. She still looks like a girl, but she looks like someone you shouldn't mess with. There's an athleticism, there's a shoulder line, there's structure to her. She looks like she could kick your butt. That's what we wanted to do, but still cute, <laughs> pixie-like. When you have the full suit on and you're there and the lights on the suit are on and you feel the adrenaline, it's like nothing else. To bring these tools of design to the table and create what we've created, if I never do another movie again, I'll be like, I did Tron. last night came from your dad's office at the arcade so so that number's been disconnected for 20 years alan you're acting like i'm gonna find him sitting there working just hey kiddo lost track of time present day piece of the film is in 2D. In the Tron uh, universe, is in 3D. How we kind of go from 2D to 3D is a very dramatic moment. I was really excited about this movie, this ability to create a world from scratch. And because the grid was created by Kevin Flynn, the world had to feel as if every detail was done by one person. We wanted a very real and tactile world, but one that wasn't constrained by anything. Hang on. The 
Tron world is, you know, incredibly dark. There's a grander sense of geography. There's the lightning storms and the weather. The light cycles operate under the principles of physics of our world, so they behave like actual motorcycles. It's perfect, you know? This like is incredibly flashy and cool and it's dangerous. We made the disc game uh, multi-dimensional and gave it much more velocity and created just a, a more complex gaming experience. you're going to feel like you're in another universe where the stakes are real, where the danger is real. It was amazing to put on because it had never been worn before. Nothing like it had ever been worn before. It was really revolutionary what that department was able to do. It was electroluminescent lamps running through neoprene and rubber. Um, we were like little energizer bunnies with battery packs on our backs. And it was an amazing feeling when they would turn us all on at the same time. Um, and it was just, you know, it, it, it was a great way to kind of bring you into the moment of the film. You really felt you were in character once your lights were on. And I remember the first time they turned them on, we just gasped. It was so beautiful and it was really exciting. Um, and, you know, those suits were not easy to wear, but it was an honor to wear them. Um, it was, you know, they were an evolved version of what was started in 1982 and when Jeff and Bruce and, and all of them were wearing these white leotards, you know, we took it to the next level and one day when there's another Tron, they'll take it to another level and who knows what those suits will be able to do. But it was an honor to wear them and really exciting. is like, uh, you know, even when we'd done the panel, uh, there's this, you know, seven-year-old girl that walked out and, and she said, Mommy, wow. And it's, uh, and it's like, if these kids that young are watching it and being that impressed with it, they're going to start being inspired sooner than later. And these are going to be our future creators, you know. These are going to be the ones that go on and create the next incredibly impressive thing that's going to wow the next generation of people. Someone had come up to me when I was 11 as I came out of that cinema and said, 27 years later, you're going to be in the sequel to this film. It would just be extraordinary, you know. 
I, I, I'm still now to this day sitting here in Flynn's arcade. I'm like on the edge of freaking out all the time. Whenever I get any official paper for schedules or something and it has the Tron logo at the top, I still kind of can't believe that I'm in it. understand why you want to break into the system because man somewhere in one of these memories is the evidence hey 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 it's the big master control program everybody's been talking about kevin flynn computer genius <laughs> taken prisoner and held captive within the digital world of the computer itself an electronic arena where love and escape do not compute. in this case uh, I was the executive producer because I was the individual that uh, said let's do it 
I oversaw some of the production, but the producer, uh, you know, certainly is more involved than the executive producer. I uh, approved of the casting and, and things like that. Uh, the, the, the executive producer is a little bit separated from the everyday process of making a motion picture. He relies heavily on, on the producer who's representing him and, of course, relies heavily on the, uh, you know, on the director. Your philosophy when you were in charge at Disney was to try to explore new options for the company, take some calculated risks. Uh, was this also behind your interest in doing Tron and what did you find intriguing about the original proposal? Well, certainly it was something that we were looking for. I mean, uh, it was something unique. Uh, it was a, an area that hadn't really been explored before. Fortunately for us, uh, I, I think three major studios turned it down before it got to us. Uh, I was impressed with uh, Lisberger and, and his uh, producer partner. Uh, and uh, God bless Don Tom Wilhite because he's the one who really uh, took notice of it and uh, felt very strongly that this was something that time-wise was perfect for us, which it was. At the time uh, when, it, when it was pitched to you, were you or your then teenage children um, playing video games? Were you any good at any of them? After the film came out, did you play the Tron arcade game? Uh, were you good at that? Leo, it's about, what, 28 years 28 later, years. and I still don't play video games. <laughs> but we did have one in our house, the Tron game. In fact, my youngest son, Patrick, uh, became very efficient at it, and he went to, I think, the sixth or seventh stage out of ten, which was uh, amazing. I, I could get to the second stage, but... And that was a very, very popular... Uh, game uh, out there. It, it, we sold a lot of them. I think my youngest son still has his. Before committing, Disney had uh, Lisberger do a two-minute audition film with props from Black Hole that, and a clip of Tron, Warrior with a disc, escaping from prison. Do you remember your reaction to seeing that? Uh, what was the reaction of others at Disney? I would have to say that I was impressed with that, what I saw. I, I, I think everybody embraced it because it was so intriguing. Uh, we realized it was a big challenge. We realized it was going to be very expensive, which it turned out to be. But it was a gamble worth taking. What was the reaction to the studio and your colleagues? Because it was such an innovative process and the expenses kept mounting, Ellen Shaw told me that you kept opening your wallet, which was, which was nice. But was there any point where you considered stopping the production or changing the story or the approach on the film? Never. Once we approved the story, once we approved the cast, once we approved all the special effects, it was go. And you don't, uh, you don't stop in the middle of the river and try to backpedal, you, you've got to go forward. And it was, a, you know, it was a difficult picture to evaluate as it was being shot because the picture, the scene was not in front of you. You had all kinds of parts that came together and ultimately made the scene. But uh, to sit through dailies, in my mind, was a little baffling. <laughs> I didn't quite understand what the hell was going on. Dick Cook said that the, uh, he felt the film would have been a greater success if it had been released about 10 years later when people were more familiar with uh, computers and uh, computer games. What do you think? I totally agree with him. I think that uh, uh, obviously uh, I and I think a lot of other people were disappointed in, in the uh, theatrical gross. Uh, uh, I felt it was going to be a much bigger picture uh, because of its freshness and uniqueness and all that. But I, I think that uh, maybe we didn't communicate what we had 
correctly. Maybe we didn't market it correctly. Uh, we, we, we missed, we, we just missed the proper sales pitch on, on the film. I think, there was, I think people were a little bit confusing. Computer animation, what the hell is that? It was brand new. Is it animation? No, it's not real animation as you know it. Uh, you know, it just... Uh, Early reaction though when you screened uh, a clip at the shareholders meeting was really positive. Do you feel that the anticipation for the film was so high there's no way that it could have reached those expectations? Do you think that Disney may be facing the same thing with Tron Legacy? Just the marketing and it's everywhere. Yeah, well, uh, I, I think the expectations were high. Uh, and I think they had uh, every right to have those ex high expectations. Uh, I, on the other hand, uh, am never that positive about anything. I look at the downside rather than the upside. I, I think the film should have done 50% better, at least 50% better than what it did. You, but you told me that it was a huge breakout hit on home video. Very big. Uh, very successful. So was there some... I forget how many units we sold, but... Uh, well, so did you feel some vindication in that? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Did you visit the set when they were filming, and what were your reactions? Periodically. Again, it wasn't the typical set. Uh, you, you know, we've done a lot of things with the special effects and visual effects and all that. I didn't go down there every day. I visited them, you know, occasionally. Do you remember any plans for a Tron attraction for a Disney theme park uh, when the film came out? Something more elaborate than the speed tunnel that they added to uh, the people over. I think it was talked, but uh, beyond that, I don't, uh, I don't remember anything getting serious about it. Tron came out at the same time as E.T., which was kind of the cute and cuddly mold more common to Disney films. Do you think that the release of E.T. hurt Tron were people more interested in outer space than cyberspace? No, no, I, I, I think that, uh, I, I don't think one competed against the other. Two totally different uh, approaches of filmmaking and uh, when you're up against Spielberg, uh, it, it's tough, but uh, I, I think this is something that uh, stood on its own feet and uh, uh, I, I loop back to what I said before. I, I, unfortunately, I just don't think we, we hit a home run with marketing and, and sales. And, uh, John Lasseter said that without Tron, there would be no Toy Story. Um, what are your feelings about that statement? Well, you know, John has said uh, on many times, uh, many occasions, and he has said it to me that you know he used to poke his head uh, in dailies and see what was happening, and uh, uh, he was um, uh, very enamored with uh, computer animation. There were news reports uh, a couple months ago that Disney had recalled the original Tron. Um, off the shelves um, with a new film coming out. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Does it make any sense, uh, you know, from a marketing standpoint with a new film coming out, people want to go back and visit the old film? I know that they're going to be remastering it and putting it out on Blu-ray next year, but they've, they've, they've yanked it with, with you know, Tron Legacy coming out in a, a couple weeks. What's your thoughts about that? Well, I think it'll help sales, actually. I, th I think it's a fairly interesting move. Uh, let's get it off the shelf. Let's concentrate on this one. When people see this, they will want to see the original if they haven't seen it already. So, um, no, I, I think it's a, an interesting move. I like okay. it.
One of the things that uh, I know attracted me to Tron is that it's really creating a myth for modern times. You know, myths can help us navigate some of our challenges in our life. What am I supposed to do? Survive. I play Sam Flynn. Jeff, he's playing my father, and I'm put through this whole arduous journey. Who are you? Dad. We've got uh, Jeff Bridges playing both uh, Kevin Flynn and playing Clue in his digital avatar self in his 20s. I'm not your father, Sam. But I'm very, very happy to see you. We're doing the disc battle. This thing's coming at us so fast, it could kill somebody. The discs are fairly deadly. The board has some, you know, pretty cool tricks up its sleeve. We're so fortunate to have some spectacular vehicles in this movie, and they drive so much of, of a film of this nature. And I knew that if it was my responsibility, we were gonna throw everything at it possible. We have the light cycle, which is kind of the newest and baddest organic bike we could come up with. That's gonna blow people away. I can't wait to be in the theater and feel that experience. This film, it really is a good little adventure. Incredible, cool vehicles bring you into the moment of the film. Darren Guilford, a production designer, comes out of automobiles, designing automobiles. And Joe Kaczynski chose Darren because he thought he would come at it in a little different way, you know, not so much like an interior designer or something, but from this view of a, an auto designer. really excited about the ability to create an entire world that felt like it was all done from the hand of Kevin Flynn. Vehicles, architecture, landscapes. We've got a number of vehicles in our show. We have the light cycle, we have a light rail. It had to look like a really low racing car on the game grid, Formula One style. Hey, so we have these beautiful vehicles that are just completely theoretical, wonderful. You'll never see on the real world, but if you happen to find yourself inside of a computer one day, you might spot one. without Jeff Bridges um, in this movie. Um, certainly, I don't think I would have been interested in doing it without his involvement. Um, he was, uh, he came on very early when I was just pitching the, uh, the test piece that we showed two years ago at uh, Comic-Con. He uh, signed up and agreed to do that based on just a very loose pitch I gave him about the movie. And um, he's, you know, he's the, he's the core of this film. Everything kind of orbits around him and we're lucky enough to have him playing two characters in this movie, so it's, um, it's, uh, it's invaluable.
thanks so much to Mr. Ron Miller, Mr. Harrison Ellenshaw, the staff at the Walt Disney Family Museum, the cast and crew of Tron, and Leo Holzer for their contributions to this show. Thanks as well to Mr. Jim Hill for letting us share in the fun. I'm told that Jim is going to have an article based on the interview with Ron Miller over at jimhillmedia.com. Please feel free to check it out if you're so inclined. And with that, I would like to thank you all for listening to A Window to the Magic as we enjoy year six of bringing you the best audio adventures from throughout the wonderful world of Disney. As we end the show, I would like to thank the Window to the Magic DVD of the Month Club members, those who have purchased the Window to the Magic podcast app for iPhone or for Android, those who now support the show through a recurring support donation, and Michael Mafoda and the Bluestone Creative Group for helping to make the magic happen. We always appreciate your feedback, so be sure to email or call us soon. Email us at podcast at windowtothemagic.com. Call us at 206-984-9886. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash WTTM. And you can add us as your friend on Facebook. Be sure to join us again next time for a trip to Disneyland that features Britney Spears, Rick James, and the band Coolin' the Gang. Are you confused? Good. <laughs> but for now, this has been A Window to the Magic, show number 260. And I'll see you next time. This podcast is a member of the Friends of the Magic family of podcasts. For more information about this show and others like it, please visit friendsofthemagic.com and click on the podcast link on the main page. And there's Vatelmelon too! Um, Heimlich, it's a podcast. Oh! That's huge! I think that's huge! Excuse me! Some days you eat the bear, and some days the bear eats you. But always dress for the hunt! Kangaloo! Surround yourself with the magic. Oh!